GalaxyCon Live is the place for you to hear about fandom from the celebrities who bring geek culture to life. Hello and welcome to GalaxyCon Live, where we are bringing the convention experience directly to you. And today we tell the story from days long ago, from uncharted regions of the universe, comes a legend, the legend of Voltron. Defender of the universe. Uh, before we get into our very fun Q&A today, so are you guys ready to meet our guest? First, his voice can be heard in, anima in animated television, video games, his face seen on TV, including Star Trek, Dallas, Mash, and more. You know him as Lance, Sven. Please help me welcome at this time, Michael Bell. How are we doing? Doing good. How are we doing out there? How's everybody I am, doing? I am doing really good. I'm doing better now that you're here. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, where are Where are you today? Where's uh, what part of the the world are you Are you hanging out in? Southern California. Southern. Today's a nice day. It's a beautiful day out here, and it's gorgeous because I'm vertical. Well, any as as they say, any day you wake up is a good day, right? You're not kidding. I get up in the morning and I go. Nailed it. <laughs> Are you ready to bring out some more of our guests? Yeah, let's see who we got here. Let's see all my buds. All right. Next up, she is a veteran of the stage, voice acting, and is the voice of several attractions at the Disney parks that hit super close to home for me. Please help me welcome, you know her as the voice of Princess Alora, the witch hagger. Please help me welcome BJ Ward. Hi. How are we doing today? Good. It's like Michael said, it's a beautiful day here. Not too hot, just a little breeze blowing. Beautiful. Well, I, I, know it's a, I know it's a beautiful day outside. So I want to thank you for spending it inside with us this afternoon. My pleasure. Is it, wait, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's afternoon. It's afternoon now. I know time zones and stuff. So yeah, it's one o'clock. Okay, one o'clock. All right, just making sure. Uh, yeah, so uh, again, Disney is super close to my home, so I'll try to keep all my Disney questions to a minimum and, and make sure this is a Voltron talk. Okay. <laughs> and and last and certainly not least, uh, you may have heard his his voice announcing for the Academy, the Emmy Awards, as well as an Emmy nominee himself. Please help me welcome. You know him as the voice of Keith and Pidge. Please help me welcome Neil Ross. Hello, everybody. It's nice to be here. I'm, I don't wake up the way Michael does. I, when I wake up, I cautiously open one eye and look around. And if I don't see flowers and candles, I get up. So. <laughs> well, you're fortunate. There was a time you'd get up, you didn't know where you were. But we won't talk about oh, that. Many yeah, times, many times. But anyway. Uh, greetings from Keith. And also from Pidge or whatever's left of him. <laughs> and, and not only that, there's a lot of folks who are watching who also know you guys from G.I. Joe. Right. They sure do. Yeah, yeah, so you guys got to work on Voltron and G.I. Joe. Was it, was it easier? Did that make it easier when you were already super familiar with the other actors that you were, that you were going to be working with? I don't know. I, I, we always we always seem to just uh, mesh. Uh, it's great because they're friends, and we see our friends, and it's always fun because we kind of kind of get where they're going. But 
when I'm sure when somebody new appears on you, you give them a shot and you say, okay, I'm sure they'll work with them. And if they don't work well with you, you just sabotage them, make sure they never work again. <laughs> well, of course, Michael and BJ were a lot. Michael and BJ were a lot further along in their careers at that point than I was. I came to the business kind of late. So I was playing catch up most of the time, but I'm really grateful to Voltron because that was the first big part I ever got. And up to then, I had been sort of third guy from the left. And uh, because of the way we did the show, I, I re it really forced me to concentrate. And, and I, I learned a tremendous amount on Voltron. But I also did on G.I. Joe and Transformers because I, I, I learned a lot by watching other actors. And uh, by God, the, the, the collection of talent on, on those shows was just astonishing to be a beginner and be in the same room with uh, the Michael Bells and the... Peter Collins and the Frank Welkers and the B.J. Wards. It was just uh, such a thrill and extremely educational. Now, you when doing something from everybody, you know, I mean, Voltron, which we did to picture Japanese mouth movements, we right. all learned a lot because we had to do the lines and, and the voices were the mouth movement went la, 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 la. and we had to say i've got to get over the thing and get voltron and blah 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 and so we had to say cut off two tenths of a second or three tenths of a second or add one tenth of a second so there was a good learning experience gi joe of course you record first and then they animate to you to your, right. to your right. you can you can add things which are great fun which yeah. you can do something in terms of character when we did voltron you were lucky if you could get an um and an uh in. And if the mouth exactly. kept on going, you'd have to go, oh, I better get back there, Pidge. Do you think? <laughs> yeah. An extra slap from the mouth. Did you find that restricting? Like you couldn't, it was harder to bring out a personality in, in you know, Voltron because of the sinking? Probably. I would imagine inadvertently we would because we didn't have the freedom to to add the way we wanted to add and do things with the character that Anne O'Neill and BJ and all the others normally would do. You kind of add things to make it yours to some degree. But I think it's always better if you're working with other actors because a lot of the time, the way they do the line that leads into yours is going to influence what you do. And then our chemistry takes place. I always describe it as a great volley in tennis when it's going well. At some point, you don't care who wins the point. It's just such a beautiful volley. Yeah. But if you are working alone, it's like you're standing in a tennis court hitting a ball to nobody and uh, and nobody hitting a ball back to you. I mean, you can do it. And, and I, I think we, we did a, a good job with Voltron, but I always like to work with the other actor if that's possible. And most of the time they'd have you do it three times. Not with Voltron, we didn't do it three times in a row, but most of the time with the other shows, you would read the line three different ways. And so it's... Uh, you know, it's you know, it's never quite yours. It's yours in a in the way that you like noodle soup. You're not quite sure what you're getting out of the bowl. Right, so. right. So is it is it safe to say that you all prefer recording in a booth simultaneously as your other actors, or do any of you prefer to just go in, do your lines yeah. by yourself, and, and get out? I can't speak for the other two guys, but I, you know, for girl and guy. I'm sorry, that was politically incorrect. Um, I, I would rather work with uh, other actors. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. When I've you're in a stuff. scene, <clears throat> then you're really taking what the other actor does and that'll change what you're giving them, so. Yeah, it's like radio. Yeah, radio. Now, 
now uh, at, at the same time you all voiced several different characters did you ever find a, a time you know while you were filming that you were talking to yourself and not just you know metaphorically yes actually physically talking to yourself and also they, in those days you could do three voices for the price of one so there were sometimes like 10 11 characters and the three of us would be already doing three and they'd be like an old space alien who was like 90 years old that's in michael's already he's got four bj you're gonna have to and i'd go oh <laughs> or they'd say michael we got a girl that bj is already doing four and he'd go well what? you know it's like very funny but with classic with voltron because i my voice was probably in the same level with bj's which was you know neil had a strong voice and uh, i think it was uh, Probably Peter Cullen had a very strong voice, and I mean Lenny Weinrib could. You know, I nothing really important on my body had dropped just yet, so uh, they said, "Mike, you'll be the other little girl, or the two little girls." And BJ's going to be those are the two little girls plus Alora, and then I'd have to be these little girls running for their lives. And in Japanese films, uh, and in the animation, anime, whatever. Uh, they usually got crushed or killed by the giant monster. They didn't care that they killed kids. So I'd always go, oh, help me, oh, 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 please, and that silly ass stuff. And then I remember one day, not too terribly long ago, my daughter and I, who was an adult, watching something, and I said, oh, look, Voltron's on another channel, so I, I switched to it, and it just happened to be that scene. The <laughs> BJ and I was screaming as little girls running from the monster. And my daughter turns to me, she goes, that little girl is you, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And she went, you're, you're doing the voice of a little girl. And I said, yep. But it's a little girl. I said, yep. And it paid for your college education, so shut up. <laughs> I remember they put Michael and, and, and I in the box and made us do giggling, simpering princesses for about 20 minutes. That was- And uh, mice, what about mice? We had to do mice. Yeah. Remember we had to do mice? Space mice. <laughs> is it is it easy to be a mouse? Well, I've actually I have some experience in this area. I also played the drunken uh, Irish mouse in uh, an American Tale, so I have. <laughs> I've also played a. I've also played a men's room. Uh, played a men's room. Played in a men's room. I, I was uh, well. It, it's it was from a movie called. Um, Oh, oh God, I'm spacing it now. The, the original was a hit and this was a sequel. Anyway, it was an automated building that had a voice and I was the voice of the, the whole building, but the men's room, you know. So someone, a character walks in and I say, hi, pal, welcome to the men's room. And then when he's leaving, I did someone forget to wash his hands? Oh no. And, um, yeah, so uh, I've often thought I should put that on a resume, you know. Third nice. nowadays, nowadays, BJ could be cast as that because it just goes to BJ. You probably could do that too. The white zone is for immediate loading and unloading of passengers only. Well, like all the Disney stuff. Please watch your ass on that moving walkway. You know, those sort of <laughs> small children by the hand. It was Gremlins 2. My oh, aging brain. Fine. I'm sorry to interrupt. It just popped. That's great. I'll say it. Yeah. It's Are you guys ready to take some fan questions? Sure. 
Sure. All right, <laughs> Michael. Let's jump right into it. First, uh, coming from John, what made you want to become a voice actor? So who is this? To which actor? Which of us asked the answers? Any one of them? Everyone. This is this is for everyone. Um, when I started, I didn't know there was voice acting. Uh, I was a singer and actress came out from New York who didn't know what to do with myself. And somebody said to me, do you want to go to a voiceover class? And they took me to Joan Gerber's house, who was a fabulous pioneer in the business. Michael worked with her and a lovely person. And I went, did her workshop in her living room with about 10, 12 other people. And I just had fun. And this was way long ago before it was a thing, you know, voiceover. And um, I just had fun and I'd follow her to sessions. She'd say, well, I'm gonna do a session today. You wanna come by? And I'd follow her. And I was just amazed that she could do a scene with herself doing two different parts and, and sing what all the voice actors did. And I just thought, this is really fun. I didn't know I could ever make a living at it or I'd be any good at it. But um, I got better as I went along. I learned as I went. I was under contract Universal Studios as an on-camera actor and playing bad guys every week on some show or other, whatever. And then I met Joni Gerber and I went with Joni Gerber. I figured, yeah, I'm this really, I'm really in solid now. And uh, she said, you want to do voiceovers? I said, like what? She said, well, you'd have all these characters. You're never going to get to play them on screen. You're just not going to play those people. So, uh, so she had me do a tape in her living room and we brought it to her agent. And he said, yeah, I think he's got possibilities. And he said, yeah. And before you know it, uh, a new career was born. I went over to the, the guys over at the big building at the Universal, what we call the Dark Tower. And I said, I want out of my contract. Uh, I'm not interested in doing this anymore because I'm, not, I'm playing the same role over and over again. They, the only thing they change is the blood to protect botulism. So, uh, you know, I, I got into voiceovers. How about yeah, you? Yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no she was asking, how, how, Neil, how did you uh, get into, you know, voice acting? Well, I, I started out in radio. I stayed in radio far too long. I was in radio for 21 years. This is the mic flag from the, ra the last radio station I worked in Los Angeles. And I didn't know voiceover existed. I don't think anybody did. This is, I'm talking now late 60s, early 70s. I was just a journeyman disc jockey production guy. But I began to become curious about these voices I heard on national radio and television commercials, the people who were doing animation, the people who were doing narration. And one day I ran into somebody who said, that's a whole business. It's called voiceovers. <clears throat> and they, they, there are people who do this and they have agents. And if you want to do this, you have to come to Los Angeles. And I just thought I was becoming kind of frustrated in radio. And I just thought, you know, looking at my eccentric little bag of tricks if there was ever a perfect job for me it would be this voiceover thing i absolutely have to be a part of this business so i managed to get a job in la in 78 and uh, first thing i did was hit the streets looking for workshops agents anything and it took me four to five years to get to where i thought i'm i think i'm kind of in this business now <laughs> I mean, there's no point where they, you know, you kneel down and they put a sword on your shoulder no. and say, you know, a voice actor. It's just, you are a voice actor. You just start realizing you're making more money outside the building than inside the building. The building being the radio station, you go, well, now the till is starting to wag the dog. I think maybe I am in voiceovers, finally. Finally. 
you know, yeah. keep, keep working at it. You'll get there. Yeah. And the first was, voiceover, the first cartoon I did was Jana of the Jungle at Hanna-Barbera. And Michael Bell was in it. And he sat next to me at the mics. And I had just auditioned with my voice then, which was kind of a high, um, like, hi, welcome to Denny's. Can I help you? You know, it was like, I, that was the only voice I had. And that was the voice they picked for Jana. I was lucky. And then I sat next to Michael and they say, and then Joe Barbera, I think, said in the, from the booth, well, okay, now Jana's going to speak to the, the bats in their own language. And I go, what? <laughs> and I, I said to Michael, what, 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 what? he said, just go like, you know, and Michael just said, just jump in, just do this. And there was a narwhal. And I said, what the heck is that? And Michael said, yeah. something like that. And so I was on the job training, sitting next to Michael Bell. And then we always ended up as boyfriend and girlfriend. For some reason, our voices were the same age at that moment in time. And the same pitch. And the same pitch, yeah. All right, our next question. Our next question comes from Christy. What other character that you have voiced would you love to see interact with your Voltron characters? <laughs> hmm. Oh boy, oh boy. Uh, maybe for me, Grandpa Boris from the Rugrats. <laughs> I'd like to see other on the Voltron character how Lotor handles him. Yeah, I'm 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 flummoxed with that question. I, I've never thought of, in those terms. You know, each show is its own separate world. So, what character would I want to yank out of what world and, and shove into the world of Voltron? Oh, I suppose the Green Goblin might have made an interesting. Uh, <laughs> contribution yeah. I would think so and I probably would uh, like to see my Winnie Woodpecker with her signature laugh <laughs> you know one of those things <laughs> in space time but it didn't happen it didn't work you, you know uh, I think we're at a time of crossovers so you never know never say never never right what Never they did with that. the Flintstones and the Jetsons, meet the Jetsons, meet the, you know, it was, everything is on board. Absolutely. I would like right. to see Jeffrey Dahmer meets the Smurfs. I think that would be. Oh, <laughs> meets Papa Smurf. Yeah. Well, you know what they say, never eat anything blue. So they're probably. <laughs> yeah. All right. Our next question uh, comes from Alex. What advice do you have for people who want to be voice actors? Great question. Go ahead, guys. Well, I always answer that by saying it's, it's, it's in my opinion, it's preparation and persistence and patience. And really, you know, persistence without being obnoxious. And that's a fine line. You got to remind them you're out there, but you, you don't want to get to the point where you become an annoyance. And then patience, uh, you know, we kind of came from a, an era where it's, well, you start at the bottom, young man, and work your way up. That was the, the understanding. But there's a lot of young people now who, who come into a world where somebody invents some sort of app and ends up a, a billionaire at the age of 29. And they think, uh, you know, I don't want to start at the bottom and work my way up. I want to start at the top. And they think if i just make the right connection if i just meet the right person uh, suddenly all the doors will fly open and, and maybe that happens on occasion but the, the one thing that you can control is preparation 
And nowadays, there's all kinds of uh, inexpensive recording equipment. And you can just sort of create your own little workshop. Not that I'm advising nobody going to workshops, but I mean, if you have a favorite cartoon show, record it and write one of the characters' dialogue down. And then imagine you went to an audition and they said, we don't like the way this character sounds. We want to change him. Uh, what do you got? What, what, what kind of voice can you come up with for this, this character? Uh, maybe record national commercials off of television. Again, transcribe uh, what the dialogue is and, and, and then practice doing it yourself. The one thing they cannot stop you from doing is preparation. And this goes back to a, a quote from one of my favorite books, The Kid Stays in the Picture. And I'm <clears throat> spacing the name of the author. Maybe it'll come. But he's, his definition of luck is when opportunity meets preparation. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing sadder than when opportunity meets lack of preparation, because I don't care who you're meeting. If you haven't got the goods, uh, they will soon discard you. Robert Evans, who ran oh, okay. that's, that's who wrote The Kid Stays in the I Picture. Have, Excellent I, book. I highly recommend it. I should tell you that I have, uh, uh, I taught a class uh, on uh, YouTube. And it's Michael Bell voice animation class, and it's free. I posted it. I, I worked with five young uh, youngsters from the, who were preparing for the Groundlings, which is a wonderful improv group, which I always recommend. I always recommend join an improv group, take acting lessons. It's really about acting. It's not just about your voice. Everybody's got a voice, big deal, but I'm saying it's, it's acting. And uh, so on Michael Bell voice animation class, just to go to YouTube, and I have an hour and a half teaching you how to at least approach the development of a character vocally. Yeah, I highly recommend Michael. I took one of his classes early in my career and it was extremely helpful. Michael is really good. He's a nuts, a nuts and bolts guy. He, he doesn't give you, well, uh, some airy fairy concept. He, he gives you really good nuts and bolts. Do this, don't do that kind of thing, which, which I found very helpful. Appreciate it. Thank you. And he's, he's absolutely right. You know. Anybody can do some sort of voice, but can you act in that voice? Yeah. And can uh, you sustain that voice? Sustain. Can, you, can you act in that voice? Can you sing in that voice? Can you, you know, I was a singer in New York and I did theater and then I came out here and I did, uh, I got in the Groundlings and I was a member of the company for a couple of years with great people. And I learned a lot just from being on stage and being blank and letting things just come to you in the moment and playing that game. And that's very useful in cartoons. Because there's not a lot of preparation. Uh, I didn't hear this. My parents didn't. They described it to me. They heard James Earl Jones interviewed and he they asked him about voiceover and he said, it's one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. And they said, really? It looks like it would be so easy. He said, well, when you do a film or a play, you are given months to prepare and think and get ready. He said, voiceovers, you walk in, they shove a script in your hand and expect you to perform instantly. And that's true, pretty much. Yeah. He was and, also a stutterer. Yes, yes. And even yeah. though you didn't hear it, he said on something, said, I, you say, well, we can't hear it because you do old CNN, you do, he said, I know, but I hear it. And it's in, it's still in there. And that was also what kept him from being, just depending on his voice, which was a beautiful voice. Oh, wow, what a voice. What a yeah. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. All right, our next question. Next question comes from Charles. 
And it's what are some of your favorite roles? Well, I like a Kaiser and uh, maybe a bear claw. No, I, uh, I'm frankly, I like the roles the folk seem to like. So I like uh, Keith and Pidge from Voltron. I love Shipwreck from uh, G.I. Joe. I love Springer from Transformers. And I love the Green Goblin from uh, Spider-Man. Because that seems to be the one every, ones that everyone remembers, bless their hearts. So those are mine. Yeah. BJ? Um, I, I liked Wonder Woman when I did that because I could just be very bossy. And then Scarlet was kind of like that too. She was the female member of the team in G.I. Joe. Uh, and she'd go, Duke, I'm more of a man than you'll ever be. So I, I liked being like, you know, butch and very strong. And then I also, I did a cartoon series at Hanna-Barbera called uh, Paddington Bear. And it was mostly Brits and me. And I think when I auditioned, I had really worked on my English accent and I, and I got the part. And so to be in this room with all the Brits and to be playing Miss <clears throat> Patty Blair's mother, I was very nervous, but I listened a lot. I got better at it. And then, uh, you know, that was challenging. I, th I think probably for me, um, Grandpa Boris and uh, Chucky's dad, Chaz from uh, Rugrats, were so beautifully written, so richly written, as much as the stuff that I've done as was, um, I did uh, Opus in A Wish for Wings That Work for Spielberg, and uh, it's a Christmas special, which is just extraordinary. It's a, not me, but it, the show itself is extraordinary. It's just really, just brilliantly done. Uh, and in general, just, they just bring it around at Christmas or something. And I got a chance to do Opus, the main character, uh, with uh, Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman, but we all worked separately, which was kind of sad. Mm -hmm. I'm to work with them. And there was a whole story behind it, which I won't get into, but those are probably the three characters I love doing the best. What are the characters that when you're at a, a live convention and you're signing autographs and people are picking up eight by tens and stuff, what are the characters that the fans are picking most that you've done? For me, it's Duke, I think, from G.I. Joe and Prowl from Transformers. Those are the two top i get a lot i get rugrat stuff i get um zan from one of the wonder twins uh, you know it, it's sporadic but the most i think would be uh probably a duke from gi joe bj what are what uh, what are um, the, the fans uh, ask me to do velma and i go jinkies where are my glasses and there that seems to you know i did it for about 15 years or maybe 20 years uh, and several people have done it. And when I did it, I was supposed to mimic the girl who had originally done it because she didn't want to be an actress or she was an agent or something, Nicole, somebody. Um, so I tried to, to make that voice up. I just tried to get close to that. And then as right. years went on, I tried to just go a little, little bit away. And, you know, but, and then Mindy Cohen did it, who kind of had that little thing in the voice that I think was very, very right for it. Yeah, the, excuse me, the characters that I mentioned before, uh, <clears throat> Keith from Voltron, uh, uh, the Green Goblin from Spider-Man, uh, Shipwreck from G.I. Joe and Springer from Transformers. Those, those, those are the ones I signed the most. So your favorites seem to be the, the favorites of, of 
the the consensus of of uh you know the fans yeah selfishly i mean that you know that if those are the ones they like those are the ones i like well <laughs> kind of a no-brainer uh, absolutely all right our next question comes from andre as an actor who would you say has been your greatest inspiration good question well would it be another voice actor guys or are we talking about uh an actor on camera it, it, yeah i mean it could be another voice actor it could oh. be a you know a f film stage television actor hmm well while you guys are thinking I, I the way i would answer that excuse me is um there was and still is a tremendous uh, prejudice against radio people in the voiceover industry and with good reason uh, radio encourages you to develop a very what Dawes Butler called the cosmetic read it's all very professional you get everything right you don't make any mistakes but there's absolutely zero sincerity or believability and they love that in, in the radio business so they see no problem with that and so you develop these awful habits that you then have to unlearn I mean when I got started in voiceover especially the commercial side of it I had to just dump everything and go back to be being a beginner again and relearn and uh, two guys who were an inspiration to me because they got out of the jock booth and they got into voiceovers big time. And those would be uh, Casey Kasem, who I only met on a couple of occasions, and Danny Dark, who I knew a little better. He's not as well known, but he had a huge voiceover career and he started out as a DJ. So those two guys were sort of my my uh, guiding star as I tried to make the transition. As far as acting inspiration, oh Lord, where do I begin? You know, Richard Burton comes to mind, but there's so many others, uh, you know. Over to you. <laughs> Over to you, BJ. Um, well, Joni Gerber was dazzling to me because she kind of introduced me to you can do a lot of different voices and sounds. And she was very, very generous and really a talented improviser. She was very funny. Um, a Dawes Butler, I studied with him and he had an amazing treasure trove of voices. And uh, Mel Blanc, of course. Uh, and these people that did 23 voices, when they passed away, they had to hire like 23 different people to do those voices that came out of the one person, you know, like Mel Blanc, who was, right. on, you know, television and vaudeville. I mean, he had a huge talk about being prepared. Um, oh, and he could sing too, Mel Blanc. Do voices. He could sing. He was, yeah. he was, yeah, he was a great inspiration. I was fortunate uh, because Joni dragged me around to meet Mel and his son Noel, and uh, he threw me in a booth with Mel. And he said, okay, two are going to work together. And I went, Okay. Oh my, I should have been wearing Depends because I'm sure I soiled myself. <laughs> but he said, okay, uh, Dad, you're going to be this East Indian. And Michael, you're going to be the guy who's going to buy a rug from him. It's for some small commercial, the radio commercial. They're ready to get me to work. And I said, okay. And then Mel started and it wasn't East Indian. I didn't say anything. I said, Mel, that's not East Indian. But his son said, Dad, that's not East Indian. That's an American Indian. I went, I went East Indian. And he went, okay. And he started again. And it was not East Indian. And he turned to me and said, Mike, can you do an East Indian dialect? And we talked about being prepared for that opportunity. 
I was prepared because I had been studying uh, voices. I had been studying dialects for some time, really imitating like, you know, plagiarize, don't change your eyes. That's why God made your eyes, so plagiarize. So I got all these, these wonderful characters. So I did the, the dialect and I looked at Mel thinking he was gonna go, nice, just took a job with, nope, he was cool. I said, you okay with this? And he said, sure, I'll play the other guy. That's okay, no big deal. And I thought, wow, what a prince. And for me also, uh, radio, um, Let's Pretend, which was a marvelous radio program I used to listen to as a kid. And they all did different characters and they had, it was real fairy tale that you had to imagine who, what they looked like. And that to me is what voiceover is, is when you're creating a character, as I teach it, you are creating a character literally visually for someone to see vocally. You're doing it vocally so they can see it, even if they're blind, God forbid, they can see what that character looks like. And there's ways of doing it, and that's what they did in Let's Pretend. So those are the inspirations for me. That's great. Uh, that's a, a, a great, great story, uh, Amel. That's uh, something yeah. I'm, I'm definitely going to remember. I mean, how many people take take uh, jobs away or roles away? When we wound up doing the Speed Buggy together, and he, uh, he had a KMIT license plate and I finally got to you know, feel comfortable enough with him. I said, is, what is KMIT? Was that a radio station you work for? He says, no, boy, because it was Kish Marin Tuchus, which means kiss my ass <laughs> in Yiddish. And I said, only, only Mel, only Mel. What a great one. I, I've been trying like crazy to get him a post posthumous award through Screen Actors Guild Award or um, an Academy Award. Or, or They've been fighting me tooth and nail for that for years. But I, he deserves one. Oh, absolutely. And I think the, the pros that, that we all got the chance to work with, uh, whether it was radio drama, the last bit of radio drama, or people like Mel, and if, if somebody said, oh, you, do a, you do the dog, I, I, don't, I don't really do a good squirrel or whatever it is, somebody just does it, nobody goes, oh, thanks, or whatever, they just go, okay, that's better. Or they'll say, you know, Michael does a better one, or BJ, you do the little, you know, and nobody cares which voice they're doing. They're all trying to help the project. It's not like, let me do my voice. You know? No. Yeah. If you work on camera, you work on camera. I did soap opera for a year. Brutal. Oh, soap opera was about hair and makeup. And I'd say, yeah. does anybody want to rehearse? I can't. <laughs> yeah. Or he has more funny lines than I do. And yes. Yeah, voiceover people are amazingly generous. Very. I almost say there's about one in a third people in the business I don't like, and uh, I don't even remember who they are. But and it's say, almost like, a, huh, huh? Can we? Can we? We'll just you know we'll start some Twitter wars. Can we go ahead and no. name them? <laughs> oh sure. I, I liken it to a repertory company, yeah. where maybe when they do uh, the Merry Wives of Windsor, you're you have a huge role, and then when they do Hamlet. Uh, you're a courtier and it's just whoever's most appropriate gets the lead and uh, yeah. nobody gets upset and it's kind of like that with with uh, with voiceovers i've never well I, i've heard stories but i've never witnessed somebody saying well, i could do that better but uh, <laughs> yeah but you also hear from friends that say oh did you read for the thing you you're so perfect for that i really wasn't right for it i call your agents that's you know i mean they don't do that on camera no yeah. oh Oh, no. No. Frank Welker is famous for that. 
Yeah. We had a mutual agent at one time and she said, it's so frustrating. I call him and say, but you have a job, Frank, you're going to such and such a place and here's what you're going to do. And he says, oh, I don't really do that. You know who's great at that? Mike Bell. Why don't you? They called for you, Frank. Go. <laughs> yeah. There's talk about being prepared. That's a guy who still works it out, still works on it, and yeah. he can do anything that you ask him to do. And it's not just a fluke. He he works at it, and he's the nicest person ever. Never said a bad word about anybody. He's I tried to get him to, but he just wouldn't. The most intimidating <laughs> thing I've ever heard in my career was when my agent said, uh, I, emergency booking, get in the car immediately, go, go, go. And I said, what am I doing? She said, well, you're replacing Frank Welker. Ah. Whoa, he's sick. Oh. And I said, I'm what? <laughs> you must have eaten those cookies you sent him. <laughs> talk about an intimidation. They're expecting Frank to show up, and I and it's there's me. only one Frank. Yeah, yeah. I, he he threw a job my way, and I and I tried to kill him after that. I had to do all these chimps for a movie. He said, "Let Michael do it," and so they <laughs> and there must have been about twelve chimps, and it was something about going to the moon with James Wood, and I did all these chimps, and at the end of it, you can kneel. I couldn't talk for a week because oh, I had. Yeah. All these different sounds, chimps, angry, happy chimps, thinking chimps, responding chimps, and these were live chimps. And mm -hmm. I had a voice, and I thought, well, that's why Frank didn't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think you got stuck there. Um, our, our next question uh, from Axel. What was it like to audition for G.I. Joe and or uh, Voltron? Hmm. Do you remember, guys? Kind of. I remember auditioning for Voltron. <clears throat> I think I may have gone in twice. I know where it took place. I know who was there, but the details of the actual audition escaped me at this point. But the difference between uh, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and virtually any other show, correct me if, if, if you think I'm wrong, guys, but you go in and you don't really get any direction. A lot of the time, the person running the audition isn't really the person who's going to make the decision. So you do something and, and they say, well, it sounded um, pretty good, uh, I guess. Uh, you got any other ideas? And you say, well, I could do it this way. And well, that's not bad. I don't, I don't know what they're going to think, but uh, yeah, okay. Uh, when you read for G.I. Joe and Transformers, Wally Burr ran the audition. And he would direct you. And honestly, I spent as much as 30, 40 minutes in the booth for a finished product that probably only lasted 30 to 45 seconds. Right. But it was pretty damn good, you know. And he, he actually helped me get work through that direction. I assume he was directing everybody else who came in. I don't know, because obviously I wasn't there. I don't know, Michael or BJ, did yeah. you have oh, a similar yeah. experience? We Actu did, yeah. You know. And it would take a long time. That's why I think then they, they made a rule that it has to be like four hours or something. But we'd be lying on the floor. Michael was writing a play. Uh, somebody was doing something else. I grew a mustache. He grew a mustache. My side card expired. You know, but he took his time, bless his heart. And he was a very lovely guy. And he knew he kind of pre-heard what he wanted to hear. And your job was to sort of See if you could tune into what he was hearing in his head, you know? 
But yeah. the difference when you, the show, when you finally got the show for the character that you got, then they started to come up with new characters. They would just throw it out. You'd get a script and you go, okay, Mike, you're playing Blotted A and this other character. And I go, oh, God, it come up. How, is he, how different does he sound? Because it's the same kind of characters as Duke, maybe. Age, yeah. Your age, you know, you know, same kind of short hair, good-looking guy, a lot of muscles, whatever. And I went, okay. But then when they gave me um, uh, Major Blood, I went, okay, good. Now, I, obviously, that can be so totally different. But they threw it at you. But then they didn't even bother to say, I want you to audition with it. They just threw it at you. And you wound up doing all these different characters. You had to be so prepared at that point. And so dialect came into uh, play, um, the uh, level of your voice, whether it was a high voice, you know, it was over here, whether it was, was down here, whether you had a, a speech impediment, whatever it was, you had to come up with something that was different than the other character that you were playing. That's very interesting. And it's interesting that they were, that they, that they helped you so much through that audition mm -hmm. as well. It doesn't seem like uh, something that would maybe that, that you hear about a whole lot today. Yeah, well, we're now today we're we're sending in MP3s, yeah, right. That's take, and nobody helps you. So even though you could do a number of things, you don't even know if they're going to listen because there's so many people auditioning for the same role you're auditioning for, right? From it's across the country. Lying. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a different business, totally different business. So. I call it right, the invisible so dartboard. Yeah, the invisible. Oh, that's never heard of it like that. Invisible dartboard. Yep. Huh. Well, unfortunately, that is our time today. Uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Before we wrap up, is there anything you would like to say to our fans watching at home, around the world, wherever they may be? Well, Neil and I are going to be in Michigan, Neil, coming in. Grand, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, Michigan, yes. And <laughs> they don't even know what that means in Michigan. <laughs> And that will be, uh, I, I should have memorized this before we came on, but what is it, the 10th and 11th of November, somewhere in that general area. Yeah. And uh, oh, I'll, I'll wrap up by saying what I always say when people come up to the table at one of these conventions and, and they say, thank you for my childhood. And I reply, thank you for my middle age. Yeah. <laughs> Good. But Very seriously, good. Without, without fans and yeah. supporters, uh, we're four or five people in a room talking to ourselves. Exactly. So I am eternally grateful to the fans. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Absolutely. And I usually say, if they say, Are you, you were part of my childhood, and I say, you're still a child. And they look and they go, you're right. Mm. You're right, I am. And now my kid is going to be just like, and they get their kids involved with shows of that period. So I mean, my kid, my kids, I have, them, I have visions of them tying their kid to a to a Barker lounger, making them watch all the <laughs> Joe or Transformers. Why can't I watch this on my phone? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, BJ, any last words? Uh, just thanks for being out there and being a fan because you're you're what keeps the cartoons coming, you know. And keeps us going out there to sign things and do things like this. And and we've, you know, they were like radio shows when we did them. So I don't think we realized at the time, I didn't, how how this thing was going to play out. You know, that like Michael said, somebody would come up to you at a Comic-Con and say, 
you did Scarlet and here's my tattoo of Scarlet on my arm. And here's my daughter who's now 23 and her name is Scarlet. I mean, you just never know how that affected because a lot of these were kids watching, you know, TV while their parents were working or after school having their little peanut butter sandwich. So we never knew the effect it had. We just did the voice in a room, never heard them back. I didn't. And there they were. And we didn't have any idea what really happened to them. That's right. So. Yeah, I know you're trying to wrap up, but... uh, you know, the public service announcements they ran in G.I. Joe. Yeah. Yes. And and I think they put them in there because they were getting heat for doing a cartoon about war. And so this was a way to. But honestly, we've had people come up to us at conventions and say that they were raised under just utterly hideous circumstances. And the only more, more morality they learned was from those PSAs on the G.I. Joe show. And it was it makes it, it was good evil. You had good, you had evil. Yeah. It was no, there was no in between. You're a good guy, and you were a bad guy. And always the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do. It's kind mm-hmm. of a gray area now. But yeah, yeah, it's know. a different world. It's a totally different world. Yeah, it's very different. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us on our GalaxyCon virtual stage. Uh, hopefully, one day soon we could be on a real stage together. It has been my absolute pleasure to host for you today. And thank you to everybody watching at home, wherever you are, if you're watching on your phones, as Neil said, uh, thank you so much. Thank you all for your great questions. Uh, We really hope to see you all soon. Until then, stay safe.